And now I'm here with Philip Hartman. He is a father. He is an entrepreneur uh, of triplets, I believe. And he's also a podcaster, among other things. Um, get ready to meet uh, really an extraordinary man that uh, has become a, a fast friend, Philip Hartman. How you doing, Philip? Thanks, Mark. I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, we met uh, through the Entrepreneurs Organization. I remember being at a, an event, um, hundreds of people, loud noises. Um, you came and sat in our group, and, and you and I somehow really clicked, um, and it's led to this uh, uh, friendship. Uh, I was on your podcast. Now, here you are uh, sharing your story on our podcast. But I mean, isn't there something kind of unique about entrepreneurs getting together and, you know, there's a bond that kind of can happen quickly. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And that was kind of, it was a GLC in Macau. Yes. And and this is also what I felt over there. The, it, it, the, the, the vibe is just buzzing. Everybody just wants to speak, wants to collaborate. It's super high energy, mega positive. Everybody's open. I mean, it's amazing. You turn around, uh, there's someone next to you. Hi, my name's Philip. What's your name? And I think that's how we met as well. Well, like, you, oh, okay, you must uh, be more of an outgoing person because I'm a little bit more on the shy side, right? Well, I'll wait for people to come up to me and, you know, that's just my personality type. It's probably not successful. It's not a successful approach for business, but it's just sort of my personality. But you and I clicked and I, I think I remember clicking on two fronts. Number one, you were starting a podcast. And yeah. number two, your podcast was about dads, being dad. And that's probably my favorite topic other than entrepreneurship. So uh, all of a sudden you and I <laughs> Same were, here. were like brothers. So, um, <laughs> so I, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, so you're an entrepreneur, um, but let's, let's get to know what you're working on. How do, you, uh, how do you define yourself? Or when people say, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you say? Yeah, that's a good question because I have the entrepreneurial uh, uh, challenge of loving shiny things so i'll start new projects left right and center all the time and <laughs> <laughs> kind of strapped for time but what i do for a living is i run a digital production house from cape town um or in cape town in now, south cape africa town, let's get this straight cape town is uh south africa right that's right okay that's right and now you are in <laughs> munich germany Right. right. I'm, okay. I'm from Munich, so I'm born and bred in Munich. My wife's also from Munich, so we're here for three months, kind of, with all the kids. We have, as you said, twins and triplets. And literally, actually, we had twins and triplets, you know the story, within yeah. 13 months. So we went from zero to five in 13 months. Twins and triplets <laughs> in 13 months, 13 five months. kids instantaneously. Okay, this is going to be a great This be a great story. Okay, so what do you do for a living? You, uh, obviously, you got this marketing company, but among other things. Yeah. Yeah, so so what we do is, you know, we produce these online banners, you know, these little annoying boxes on the internet. Someone has to make them and they come at amazing, great, great volumes and it's very niche. We used to be always a digital creative agency and the problem was always like, you know, sure, it's a good business. We do we do arbitrage. We sell our services to clients in Germany and Switzerland from South Africa. So we have a, 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 a lower cost in terms of production. But at the end of the day, the offering was too broad. So we do websites, we do apps, we do 3D, we do animation, everything. And if you're so small, you can't really, you know, you can't win in the market. You can't be number one. 
So what we did in 2016, after having to ra uh, run the digital agency for about, uh, what, 10, 12 years, we really made a pivot and we repositioned ourselves as a digital production house for online banners. We call it performance production. So we're all about conversion. Um, we developed a software that allows customers to, well, basically the software facilitates a better process, right? So agencies produce these kind of assets on the fly. They do it via email and Excel, and it's a nightmare. And it's amazing because these, you know, banners are, what, 20 years, as old as the internet. As soon as there was internet, someone put a digital poster up. But no one's ever produced software, or none, no one that I know about anyways, produced a software that allows for a decent process. Yeah. So we produce these these banners. And because it's digital, we can service customers all over the world. And that's what we do from South Africa. Yeah. Do you have uh, any businesses in, or customers in the United States? I hope after the show I will. That's right. Okay. That's the, that's, <laughs> you know, we're not an infomercial, but if, we, you know, if, you find, uh, if you fall in love with uh, Philip Hartman the way uh, I seem to have, you may end up <laughs> wanting to reach out to him uh, directly. But this, the purpose of this you know, our podcast is around entrepreneurship and, you know, kind of discovering what's great about entrepreneurship and helping share that with, uh, with our listeners, with our viewers. And so you think about um, your entrepreneurial journey. I mean, it, it, would you cons why do you love entrepreneurship? I guess maybe that's the best way to put it. That's, that's a, such a good question. I love entrepreneurship, firstly, I'm unemployable, I'm sure. Um, I love entrepreneurship because I love, actually, I love the ups and downs. You know, the one in the morning, you're like, oh, we're going bankrupt in the evening. <laughs> you're like, well, you know, I'm a millionaire kind of. And the, the thing is really that it, I think that it allows me is to be creative and to, to not having to answer to every, anybody, but being able to literally plan my own life with my own flexibility and, and my own terms, that's amazing. You can have an idea and you can just execute on it and suddenly something happens and that, that kind of creation is really what I thrive on. I love it. So thinking about this, you're starting this podcast. Obviously, you've started other businesses. It's never easy. It's always, uh, to me, it always seems like it's ten, at least 10 times as hard uh, as you expected. Um, so, I mean, I'm thinking about that, right? It's... It, you like the stress? You like the uh, the the fact that um, you don't win all the time? Yeah, I know. I know. And someone told me startups are dirty and there's no money. And that's very true. <laughs> but I like it. I mean, the podcast, you know, the podcast is really, it came out of my own need. So like I said, I had these children in, in, in no time. And I realized there's nothing for dads. There's really nothing for dads. The project's called Being Dad. There's a website that I'm busy producing called beingdad.net. That's where the, the project will live. And I've, I've interviewed about 10 or 12 dads uh, so far. You're, the one we did together was amazing. I mean, it's mind-blowing. But what I realized was, you know, there's nothing for dads. And why is that? I think that is because historically dads weren't seen in, kind of in the role uh, other than a provider. We talked about it in length. And the podcast is really, for me, a um, catalyst for the next phase where... Ultimately, I want to have an investment vehicle that invests in companies that carry the same mission as the podcast, which is um, empowering dads. And by empowering dads, I'm hoping that we will be able to support families or facilitate family success. 
which I believe makes a positive impact on society because families are the smallest unit, how you can organize society. And if dads are more involved, I think no one will debate that families are more successful. So that's it. the podcast will really be a marketing tool or a tool to generate reach for the VC fund or the accelerator. Okay. What kind of, so you're going to uh, invest into companies that are owned by fathers or that are geared toward helping fathers? Yes, the, the later. So they are always geared towards helping fathers. And of course, the product or the service or the whatever problem they solve needs to work for everybody in the end. But the predominant focus is for the first tier, so to speak, or the first target group would be fathers. Hmm. That's very unique. Um, I, as you may know, I don't know if you remember this, but I have my own fund. Um, I do uh, a lot of angel investing here in uh, the Sacramento region. It's Cal you know, for anybody who's following you. So I'm in California um, and I'm probably 90 minutes away from the Silicon Valley Bay Area, 90 minutes away from Tahoe in California, uh, which is a western part of the United States. But, you know, you're across the country and yet we find these uh, similarities. Um, but thinking about that, what would a business look like that was, I mean, give me an idea of what a business might look like that you would want to invest in. Yeah. So any problem that you can think about yourself as a dad. So for instance, this could be commuting or, you know, being, being away a lot, or it could be, um, around your children, anything in terms of education or anything okay. around the challenges of the digital world that our children and the parents okay. face. Yeah. It could be, so I'm talking to Yat. I don't know if you know Yat Siu from Hong Kong. He's got an accelerator for yes. uh, blockchain and AI. Yeah. Mm -hmm, so guess. we're talking about doing an accelerator with uh, blockchain and AI related accelerator with being dead theme. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's a lot of solutions, especially if you think tech, that uh, will be valuable for dads. Okay. Yeah. Um, are, is your focus going to be... Um, locally or is it going no. to are you going to look at company like here i am i'm yeah. i'm right down the street from you know 50 percent of the venture capital in the u.s and so yeah. all these tech companies are all around us yeah no i'm definitely going to be global because the problem or let's say the problems we're solving are not locally based the problems we're solving are global uh, because that's a global and it's a very versatile kind of situation. So I think there will be a lot of different applications that you and I won't even be able to think about. And that's the beauty of those structures with accelerators and later uh, second round. You know, the, the kind of stuff that people come up with okay. is amazing. And if you can manage a decent deal flow, and I think that can happen through the, the vehicle of, you know, talking on podcasts like this, having my own podcast. I told you the last time that... Uh, on the back of the podcast, I want to do a TV series where we learn about interesting dads and they share their experience and, and valuable insights. And on, on the base of that reach, I think we can reach a lot of interesting entrepreneurs again, in turn, that we can support with funding and, and mentorship and that. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. I, I had forgotten about that longer term vision, but we know a podcast or social media can be a great way to sort of get the word out that you're an investor. So um, we've yeah. seen that happen in the past. It's happening a little bit for me as well. But thinking about what you've discovered as, uh, as you've approached this Being Dad podcast, you've talked to a lot of fathers. Um, anything interesting that's, uh, that's cropped up or any new information? In terms of the dads, you mean yeah, the dads' experiences? Being dads, because you, you know, getting, going, dads don't necessarily go deep often. When we got on your podcast, we went deep about my relationship with my yeah. son, my grandson. Yeah. 
our concerns, our, our hopes. Yeah, and this happens all the time, man, because, like I said, dads are not being spoken to enough, you know, and addressed to in, in, as dads, you know. So he's the investor, he's the CEO, he's the entrepreneur, but he's never, he's never the dad. And yeah, they, so they were interesting, amazing, and, and also heartwarming stories, some difficult. For instance, um, I had one dad, he's from Hong Kong. His name is Walter Lee, and he's got a son, Zai, who only has one arm. So he was born with one arm, one functional arm. The other arm is, isn't there, and then they, there's one leg that's deformed, but it's not functional. Mm. And the energy and the love this man was able to kind of express and get from this whole situation was amazing. I mean, he's he's managed to get his son walking by the age of two, obviously with uh, prothesis. Mm -hmm. And at nine, uh, they m summited Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> Can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, he's, he's managed to involve, he's also from EO, not surprisingly. Yeah. He's managed to involve the um, royal family of Thailand and he's started a foundation where they want to impact. It's called the Zai Movement Foundation, Zai Z-Y Movement Foundation. And they are aiming to impact 10 million children who are differently abled in Southeast Asia um, who have problems walking. You know, and it's not just altruistic. I mean, it obviously is altruistic, but like, you know... The way he managed to involve the, um, the, the, the royal family and the government was by explaining that this is also ecological kind of, uh, sorry, economical kind of situation, right? Mm -hmm. If you have 10 million people who are differently able, they can't work uh, if you don't enable them in terms of these treatments that he brought to Southeast Asia now. Yeah. So that means that there is a whole group of people around him that also can't work. So he's having a massive impact from his motivation as a father. That's how he started, right? And there's a lot of these stories. So um, Yat has an interesting story. He thinks a lot about how we engage and educate children, or how we should engage with our children and educate them in such a digital kind of world where our kids immerse themselves in digital and screen time and these games and virtual augmented reality. And a lot of parents are very scared of that world because they don't understand it. So he su yeah. su suggests that you should immerse yourself in that kind of world. Well, it's interesting. You know, technology is obviously uh, changing our world very rapidly, but society is changing on its own um, despite any potential uh, technological changes. I mean, there is, um, I think, you and I discussed this, there is becoming somewhat of a double standard for men and for young, uh, young men, young boys, as they grow where whereby there's one part of us that's supposed to be the macho provider and then there's another yeah. part that has to be that softer side um, yeah. and the politically correct side and so on uh, are you making any discoveries on that front um yes so firstly yes because a lot of people are seeing this what we've discussed a lot of people are seeing this and a lot of people are acknowledging that this the situation or this problem exists right so for instance the book we talked about you know a lot of people know this book i i spoke to um since we spoke i spoke to uh, john gray who was the co-author of it's called the boy crisis it's uh, written by john uh, william farrell um and 
he we talked a, i actually wanted to talk to him about diet but in the end because he wrote about diet he's the same he's the author of women are from venus men are from mars or men are from mars women are from venus <laughs> and oh, okay. he was kind of yeah he was kind of famous in the 70s i think and I think yeah i want spoken to our uh through to our EO group. I didn't realize it was the same guy. I read the or listened to the audio book of The Boy Crisis. Okay. And I was taken in, but I think we had that guy come speak to our EO. Our, for those of you don't, that don't know what uh, EO is, it's the Entrepreneurs Organization. It's obviously a global organization. I'm the president of the uh, Sacramento chapter. Um, but, you know, we know people all over the world uh, that through this. So that's how I was uh, introduced to uh, Phil or how we met each other. So. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah. So let's talk about this uh, this crisis a little bit because to me it's really intriguing. I don't think it gets spoken about as uh, as much as um, you know maybe a lot of other crises out there because I mean guys don't want, typically as men, especially as you know if we've had a little bit of success, we're not going to sit here and um, and contemplate what's uh, wrong with the world. We're out trying you know and and, and maybe even how we might uh, be discriminated against in some way. I mean, that's just not our personality. Personality is to go out there and attack and overcome uh, on our own. Yeah. Here, yeah, we have a problem for these young men that are growing up. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I want these men to, these young fathers to see, including myself, by the way, I'm kind of, you know, jump starting leapfrogging these, these uh, experiences myself by learning from you guys, you know, the, the older dads who've gone through it. And that's a, it's been amazing. I mean, the, the 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 experiences these men share, and they actually open up when you ask them. And of course, my story is a door opener, right? Because it's not so you don't hear this every day. You know, five kids in thirteen months, so they do give me an hour. And the stuff that comes out is really, really powerful. You know, Warren Rustand, we talked about him. He's got seven children and nineteen grandchildren. He's very passionate about family, and he sh we sat for two and a half hours. It's amazing and. He um, shared how his, he worked out his family vision, how his, he's got a vision statement and a mission for the family. And, and the proof is in the pudding. We talked about this too. The whole family, his whole family lives on one big ranch. And they don't have to do this. They are grown-ups, these kids. But they obviously, you know, obviously the family did something right because they want to live together. And, and those kind of gems, I'm just trying to kind of collect and, and get people to yet to listen to this. And you don't have to you don't have to become a fanboy and try and do everything these, these men say, but maybe there's something there that's interesting that, you know, gives you a new perspective or that you want to discuss with your wife or maybe that you want to apply or maybe the opposite happens and you don't want to apply it. That can also happen. And that's fine because that's a different impulse then. Well, I, uh, we're building out a family compound as well. We call it Haneyville. It's right here in Sacramento. And, uh, and we have a mission statement and vision statement that we share as a family. And I kind of feel like every family should have a mission statement or some rallying yeah. cry that helps bond them together. I don't think that's the, the secret to the closest of our family, but I think, it, I think it's helpful. Obviously, Warren has uh, experienced that. But I mean, my, my thinking is that... Um, fatherhood and entrepreneurship don't always go hand in hand. I mean, yeah. are there pros and cons with being an entrepreneur uh, and a father simultaneously? I mean, five kids uh, that quickly and you've got all yeah. the stuff you're doing? Yeah, there are pros and cons. Of course there are. I mean, uh, definitely one of the cons would be, and I have to say this in adverted commas, the perceived um, feeling of security 
uh, of being employed because you also you know t you cannot be out of a job tomorrow as well it's very stressful as an entrepreneur you know this when mm -hmm. today there's a lot of cash flow and everything's fine tomorrow the big contracts cancel and you have to try and scramble and replace it so that's the biggest stress for me this cash flow stuff especially in you know we basically when we pivoted in with the, the factory we we the better company we became a startup again right and we we cancelled uh, big jobs and we were like okay we're not going to only produce banners and everybody's like are you crazy yeah okay but the opportunity is there so we have to do it and and that's the stress the i think the the biggest pro is that i'm able to to be conscious and to be deliberate about my own time and how I plan it. And I don't have to answer to anybody. And if I want to work from home, I work from home. In fact, I haven't been to the office for a year and a half. And luckily, my business partner, Stephen, allows it. Wow. And, you know, I, I do what I do best. You know, I connect with people and I do sales and I do strategy. I don't have to be at ho in, in the office so that somebody can watch me on the phone you know, in Cape Town because we only have German clients. What would you do without Stephen? I would probably climb under a rock and die. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, this doesn't mean that you get a raise, okay? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, nobody builds a great business alone. I mean, I think it's interesting. No. I see so many people trying to go the solopreneur war route and to survive, you end up working these crazy long hours and it does take a toll on the family. It takes a toll on the family. I mean, I'm super lucky with Stephen. You know, we've been, we've been working for 20 years and we're best friends, but also uh, this is like an old marriage, of course, like any entrepreneur will tell you, you know, after 20 years. So there's ups and downs and, every, and, and, and everything. But in the end of the day, man, it counts that can you rely on this person? Can you trust this person? And can you put your life into this person's hands? Because that's what you're doing, right? If we go bankrupt, we're both in it. Well, so I'm thinking, I'm wondering, so I don't, I'm not as internet, I'm not as worldly probably as I ought to be. I've traveled all over the country, but I don't really, other than through EO a little bit, I don't really don't have friends all over the, the world that are close. And I sort of wonder, it's always interesting to me when I meet somebody uh, away from the U.S., um, I sit here, I look at my my hometown and my little uh, world, piece of the world like it's the only place in the world. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about South Africa or Munich or um, these places that are, you know, we don't, they don't show up on my news feed. Um, yeah. So what about you? So I know the U.S. probably shows up more on your news feed or in your day-to-day -day life um, than maybe what uh, Munich or South, you know, or, you know, Germany or South Africa does to me. Yeah, it does. It does. And I mean, I've been, I love the US. I've been there in 11th grade, man. That's a long time ago. I was, what, 18? This is like uh, revealing my old age here with my big beard. 22 years ago, <laughs> I spent a year in uh, California. Actually, I went to Lompoc High School uh, in Randwick. You know where you shoot up these rockets? Yeah. Amazing. Okay, that's There's Va Vandenberg Air Force Base. Yes. So I, I do have a connection to the US in a sense. I mean, I haven't been in a long time, but. Of course, the U.S. is super interesting, and it's a massive market, by the way. Talking of entrepreneurship, so yeah, so, yeah. When you when you guys when you and 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 you and the people, uh, let's say in your entrepreneurial world locally, um, view the U.S. Do you view us? As, you said a big market. Do you view us as uh, uh, potential customers, or mm -hmm. um, do you look at uh, does do you look at the uh, stock market the way I do? Stock market goes up. The you know. I, I really look at the uh, the indicators here in the U.S. as to like what's going to happen with the overall economy, um, you know, not so, and maybe China, 
but not so much. Uh, you know, Germany is very important, obviously, but we look a lot at internally. Yeah, from my perspective, in, in from a business sense, uh, from from the factory being in a digital space and ad tech uh, world, so ad technology world, the U.S. is obviously very interesting because as a market because the U.S. is much more advanced in terms of digital marketing. So media spends been digital a lot longer than Europe. Uh, uh, targeting's a lot more advanced than, than in Europe. Obviously, Google is from, from the U.S. And all these interesting ad tech companies come from the U.S. What happens in Europe is that companies or the market kind of lags two, three years behind. And, I mean, this lag becomes shorter and shorter, right? Because the technology is now global. And, but the adoption is still a little bit slower in, in Europe and Germany. Well, you can't say Europe. In Italy, it's a lot slower, but or in Switzerland for that matter. But Germany is okay. So the US is very interesting in that sense. And from the podcast perspective, being dad, funny enough, I had a lot of American dads. And, you know, that would be interesting to, to actually pick your brain on. I read that in the US, podcasts now actually acquire venture capital. In Germany, podcasts are in the very, 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 very beginning. So, so. it would be... I I think there are mm. uh, podcasts are blowing up here. Um, I'm yeah. actually sort of late to the game. I started on AM radio and now have kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm on FM radio. I don't even know if you know what that is out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on like <laughs> I'm a old station, a local radio station. <laughs> I started as a sort of a passion product or project, and then now it's turning into an invest, you know, investment investment vehicle, if you will. Ah, um, we yeah. built a platform that helps entrepreneurs, and part of that's through uh, through capital. Um, but yes, uh, podcasts are really taking off here, and I, I haven't had anybody invest into my uh, podcast yet. But I, I do know there's some very successful uh, podcasts that uh, have real value, and I don't know specifically of podcasts that have taken on an investment capital though. How do they monetize in the U.S.? I mean, do you sell stuff, or is it just advertising? Because that's like kind of boring yeah, isn't it it's uh i think there is advertising but there there's something valuable about being an influencer so if you have a an expertise in a in a certain space for you it might be dads if you had a, a big enough audience that audience has value with you as an influencer um around, yeah, okay. that, around brands that care about um you know boys and uh you know fatherhood and so on so yeah i'm seeing that as one way so people with these uh, huge followings. In fact, I'm invested into a company here in the U.S. called Grin. It's all about influencer marketing. It's a kind of a CRM platform that uh, connects up uh, influencers that might not be really famous. Um, you may have, you probably never heard about them over uh, uh, anywhere uh, outside maybe their little constituency. They are, their brand is very valuable. So your podcast will actually, if you have an, a big enough audience, it'll give you personally some real value um, long term, and I think everybody, everybody's a personal brand these days. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't looking so much for that. I was really looking to make an impact, and because, because the, the topic, the, there is a niche. Like I said, there is nothing for that. So, so on on that sense, and the brands and the influencer kind of space, the next season that I'm doing is going to be focused also on that, obviously. But in the uh, specifically around conservation, so I want to speak to dads who really have thought about conservation because I believe that the moment you became a father, your mandate became to hand this world back to your children that you've lent, uh, that we're borrowing, in a better 
you know, kind of state, at least, if that's possible. So I think there are very, very interesting stories around that. And, and that. So if, if you guys over there, you're in, you're in uh, close to Silicon Valley, hey? Yes. Um, if you know anybody at Patagonia, please let me know. I would love to speak to them. They okay, in California. I, okay, yeah. yes, I do not know them, but so Sacramento is a, um, uh, it's a, it's a town of about three million people, or a region of about three million, um, mm -hmm. and so we're more inward. We're a little bit like uh, a midwestern um, part of uh, California. So I don't know if you know what that is, but a little bit more um, conservative. We're not the, what you might think of in terms of the Bay Area, Silicon Valley or LA where it's Hollywood and so on, we're a little bit more um, almost like a rural, a rural community. We've been talked about uh, in many places as being like a cow town and it's also the capital of California. So we're a little bit of a government town. So yeah. um, I'm trying yeah. to infuse the entrepreneurial spirit uh, or at least kick it up a little bit, kick up a little dust around entrepreneurship here in our, in our hometown. Yeah, um, good. Yeah, and I mean, I, th I think it's interesting that you've built this, I'll call it socially responsible business model, right? Where yep. you're helping dads, you're uh, trying to turn it into, you're turning it into a, a longer term uh, vision that's, uh, that actually is going to, you know, drive economic activity. Um, where does that come from? Where does your like deep passion, I mean, I know you're a dad of five, but I mean, um, you know, where does that come? You're now you're talking about conservation. Um, where does that uh, philosophy, those philosophies yeah. of giving back uh, come from? Because it's really a give back piece because it, it, it might not be the fastest way to, to fame and fortune. Yeah, it, it, that's true. Hey, I mean, I think it's kind of I've kind of always wanted to do meaningful work. And building websites for big companies and selling a lot of product is not really in fact, it's the opposite. And, you know, everybody has to put their kids to school. So I'm, I'm not judging that. We, we're doing the same. We're selling, we're producing banners in the thousands and thousands. They do nothing but selling product. But really, I was always a little bit frustrated with the fact that our agency work prior and now the digital production work isn't actually meaningful in a sense other than, okay, we're creating jobs and, and we're paying salaries, really. And that was always missing. And when... When I found, I kind of stumbled upon this project or I kind of just grabbed the opportunity when it came and I saw, hey, there is a real need for this. It kind of just developed into what I want to do because now I don't have to make money on this. I'm making money on the factory and and it gives me total creative freedom. So if I want to talk about conservation, hey, I do. And if there's interesting dads, you know, for instance, the guy from Sea Shepherd, he's super out there, but he's a dad of two. You know, and and I'm sure he has interesting stuff to say, maybe controversial, but that's fine. And it's an interesting p point of view and probably mega interesting. You know, if you want to spend half an hour on that, I would lo love to speak to him on, on, on that. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of it just kind of happened because I don't have to. I don't have to please a client. I don't have to send an invoice. I do it in my own time. And that's why it's so slow, you know, because I haven't taken on money and I haven't. And that's I like that because it gives me the freedom. It's interesting because I think I was in the business of selling. I still am. I have a couple of security businesses, um, but I, I sold some businesses and sort of was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew I wanted mm -hmm. to do something that uh, that was uh, socially responsible and uh, around things that I care about. And so I randomly ended up, uh, you know, as a podcaster. But I really wanted to help people grow their businesses. To me, that was that was fun and. 
I was less worried about the profitability and those kind of things. Um, I guess because I had already had a little bit of success. But we're thinking back to the beginning, it was all around supporting my family, and I really wasn't thinking about socially responsible stuff. So I'm like throwing this over to you. You've had some success. It's obviously afforded you the ability to think um, a little bit more on the socially responsible front. What would you say to the entrepreneur, the person, or maybe the person that's a pro, you know trying to start their own business, thinking about that? I mean, should we should they be thinking um, socially responsible first, or is it like just get in the game and make some money, man? Yeah, it's a very good question, and I think there's not a blanket answer. It, it would almost be rude to say you you know kind of think socially responsible first, but try to think socially responsible at least at the same time, you know, kind of more more equally than not at the same, if you know what I mean. So, in fact, I think the actu- in reality, the only real p- p- true pursuit, and I'm not at all claiming this for myself, is to preserve the earth because we are torching it. Um, but of course, if you're trying to put your families, you know, you have you have to work and the society is how it is and, and the the game is how it is. But I do think... So me, it's in my mission statement. I prioritize my family, uh, then my friends, and then my community. All of three matter immensely to me, but it all starts around my family, which starts around my wife and my children and now grandchildren. Those come first to me more than saving the planet. Yeah, of course. But in a sense, you also want your children to have a planet in 50 years or 100 years, right? For sure. And, and, and to answer your question in terms of, of starting a business, I believe personally there is huge opportunity in greener businesses. So businesses that solve a problem either around conservation and it doesn't have to always be a green hippie with long hair and, and a beard, you know, kind of. <laughs> You fit that mode, though, that mold. <laughs> you look like a throwback but, to my generation in the oh, 70s. Of course, man. <laughs> but if you think, you know, if you think around like, and, and it, this is like the easy stuff, but if you think around um, green energy, sure, and it's obvious. But then if you go along kind of tech and those kind of things, sh- uh, sh- uh, uh, shareability or uh, all these sharing models, you know, that those are all along the lines of actually making the world more greener. You don't have to, like, for instance, yeah. you don't have to own a car anymore. This morning in Munich, I don't have a car. Well, we have a big car, nine-seater, but I didn't want to go to the meeting in the nine-seater, right? I can't park. So I signed up this morning with the app. It's a ride-sharing app. It took me literally 10 minutes. I jumped in an awesome Volkswagen car, drove to town. I parked the thing there. I just leave it there. Um, after the meeting, the app offers me an e-scooter thing where you can zip through town and then I went for lunch and then I took another car back. I mean, how, how awesome is this business? Yeah, I mean, and, well, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, mean I, I love it. I think uh, the fact that you and I had a little bit of success has afforded us this, uh, I guess, this op- these opportunities to, um, to think more responsibly. Um, but I meet a lot of entrepreneurs that are about to go out of business. Um, they're really struggling with just surviving. And the last thing on their mind is saving the planet or social responsibility. All that is on their mind is feeding those children and making yeah. sure that they can make a rent payment um, or you know keep their home. And it, it seems to me that... Uh, you know, what do you? What would you say to those people 
in terms no, of like of course of course i have to you have to do what you have to do you know like i said I, you have to do what you have to do if you need to make certain decisions you need to make those decisions i mean it's not about killing yourself because you can't make a living for yourself and your family so that you can save the planet that's not what it's about but the the point that i'm trying to make is that at least be mindful and and where you can make the right decision so if you can go left and right and it doesn't make so much of a difference rather go right towards conservation say or have a con conservationist kind of view and i totally believe that the money will follow because other people find this the correct decision as well so the support will follow that decision if you know what i mean yes I totally agree, and I, you know, I challenge you looking just to make sure that we clarify this to the, to the people that are out there um, listening, thinking about what kind of business they want to go into, and then also to, um, to hear from somebody so successful as you and to, you know, the encouragement to, yeah, you have to, you know, to the people that are battling right now, fighting the good fight, if you will, you know, you just got to keep on trucking. There's, um, there's a feeling a lot of times is, you know, that we might be alone. Did you have, uh, I mean, how easy was your first business to get it going? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy. I've had very interesting uh, businesses. For instance, at the one time I, I invented the fact that I need to know, I had the idea that I now need to start a, a guest house in the Maldives with a guy who almost sunk the surfboat. And he had this dream of having a guest house. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll give you the money. And... <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole podcast on its own but we actually <laughs> built the guest house and we were leading in the northern maldives for northern Mali at all actually with guest houses which was a new thing at the time so it's an amazing opportunity they used to only have resorts and boats that was it they didn't you weren't allowed to uh, go into a local island it's very muslim and they didn't want tourists to be on those local islands right so they put all the tourists on the exclusive resorts and they marketed the maldives as um ex exclusive resort only this is like since the 70s or whatever we, they had backpackers in the past and they realized no no we don't want this anymore we're gonna have only exclusive so they changed the law and we were actually one of the very first guest houses uh, sorry i'm going off on a tangent here but anyways no business i ever started was ever easy I, we, I, we had a marketplace uh for tradesmen that was amazing first of its kind in south africa but the team was the team that i put onto the onto the uh business was totally off and in fact we had a huge fallout and it was impossible to carry on even though it was it was google top 20 uh southern africa uh, startup but we couldn't i yeah also my own fault i put the wrong people in place um the first agency we started we started the garage in my parents garage um after no one had called us for half a year, pretty much, we were like, yeah, okay, we're going to have to find a job. And then I think Stephen's mother, there we go again, Stephen's mother's friend's husband gave us our first job. We were like 22, building CD-ROMs and stuff and a website. And that's kind of, you know, what made us, that's how we jump-started. And then, of course, we had no clue of, of nothing. Yes. <laughs> I think... Uh it's interesting because I think that's one of the things I think that bonds entrepreneurs together. You know, you and I are sitting here talking about, uh, you know, uh, changing the world and making uh, making the world a better place. And you're helping fathers. I'm trying to drive some entrepreneurship as, as are you. Um, but uh, we all can sort of relate to 
this uh, this crazy thing that we do we call entrepreneurship. It's 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 a, there's a lot of pain and suffering and yeah, you yeah. know failures yeah. and those kind of things along the way. And I think that the, it's like it's almost like being a dad. You don't know until you are one, right? Until you, yeah. you don't know what it's like to be an entrepreneur until you become one. Similar to being a dad, you can we can look at it or read a book about being a dad, but you don't know until you have you know. no clue. Yeah, you yeah. have no clue until you're in it. And this is the one job I read this quote the other day. I think it was something like, this is the one job where no one gives you training. No one tells you what to do. You're in it and you can't quit. And if you quit, someone would die or something. And that's really what being a dad is all about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, okay. So I want to, you know, I want to make sure we, uh, we talk about you and these, uh, five children. I mean, this sounds like, I mean, I was going to ask you what keeps you up at night because that's a, you know, oh, that's a, easy. a good podcast question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Talk to us about the home life and then maybe like what else keeps you up at night? Is there yeah. anything that what's, what's stress look like today for, for a guy? Uh, you know, what are you 34? Is that what you said? I'm 40. I'm 40. 40. But oh, thank you. My math, my, my math is bad. Uh, you gave me a math problem earlier, and I guess I didn't get it. But uh, okay, so you're 40. You've got these five little kids, um, and you've got uh, this uh, business empire you're building. No, no, small, small businesses. But yeah, five kids. And uh, what's stressing me? I mean, like I said, the the biggest stresses for me are the the cash flow stuff in the business. You know, when when we pivot or when we pivoted, we had to turn down. Or we, we in terms of If you actually ever want to pivot, you have to start pivoting at some stage and you have to make hard decisions. Otherwise, you never pivot. You kind of, yeah, you never fle uh, uh, flesh, you never fish kind of thing, right? You're always mm -hmm. stuck in your old stuff, but you're trying to do the new, but it's so convenient to, you know, keep the old business. So that's really, that was the biggest stress for me in the last maybe year or so or two years business-wise personally in my private and family life it was definitely the pregnancy and then having all these small children because you know lit literally the, the triplets were in NICU in intensive care for what, 12 weeks or 11 weeks they came 10 and a half weeks early and one of them died man they had to re oh. resuscitate he stopped breathing because when they're so early they don't have the reflex yet of of actually breathing so they stop breathing all the time and you tap their chest And they kind of wake oh, up and they remember no. to, to breathe again. And he went blue. Max went blue. Luckily, my wife kind of felt it. And she went to hospital and he was weird the whole day. And then she kind of, oh, she so was he breastfeeding. Was home, he was at home when that happened? No, no. They were in hospital, luckily. They were in she, the hospital. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this was like ongoing stress for me. We had, before we adopted Maya and Lena, sort of twins are adopted. And then within six months, Vanessa fell pregnant with the triplets, right? So before we adopted uh, the twins... Vanessa was pregnant and it didn't work. And it was hugely traumatic for me. It was very stressful. And I only dealt with it like, there we go again, being dead. I only dealt with it a year later. And, and, and other dads have told me the same kind of dads often assume the role of just soldiering on and making sure that everything kind of works and forget about themselves almost. And society would also be like, oh, you know, people would say like, oh, and how's your wife handling? Oh, well, you know, I also kind of lost the kids here, you know, and... So that was the, it personally, that was the biggest stress for me. This whole uncertainty around the kids and is everybody going to be okay? And But now that's fine. I mean, that's mm -hmm. in the past and everybody's healthy now. But because you asked, this, this was the biggest stress. 
Yeah. What's the uh, the best part of entrepreneurship for me has been around, you know, maybe dealing with the tougher things and then coming out with some wins. I mean, anybody can yeah. start a business, um, but you don't really understand entrepreneurship until you battled a few uh, challenges and then had a couple of victories. And it's those victories, I think, that end up, they say life is not a, a journey or, you know, happy. It's not entrepreneurship. The great thing about entrepreneurship is not the journey. Um, but it is, for me, it's been those milestones of overcoming difficult things. Yes. Um, and the way you feel when you've um, challenged yourself in a way that you probably didn't think you were going to be able to do it and overcoming it. Um, so I think about that and I compare that to fatherhood. And I think for me, you're just starting. The, my, I think it, like, I feel like you don't understand yet uh, because um, as a yeah. guy who has grandchildren, I think some of the most rewarding things to me is when my, when my children uh, achieved some of these little milestones or um, had yeah. some success. Obviously, the health is, I mean, just being healthy is, is huge. But like when they began to um, turn into little people and have their own uh, achievements, I guess, that, those things were some of the most rewarding things to me. Um, so thinking like to you as a father, like what beyond their health, I mean, at these little kid ages, um, what's, uh, what's exciting you about that? It, about it the kids? Like that's, the, that's the stress time when they're crying all the time and all that stuff. It's like, hey, I got to get out of the house, go to work. <laughs> and I work from home, so <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that's a problem. That's right. <laughs> yes, no, I mean, yeah. what's, you know, what's such a joy is like they come and they run at you and they, they're just full of happiness, man. They don't have an agenda. They don't have a hidden agenda. They don't want to like kind of manipulate you or do any. They they just pure emotion. So the one minute, like like I just now I went downstairs to talk to you, and my one son just had a total fit, and he literally thinks I'm like leaving and I'm never coming back, and Go that's the emotion he feels. Yeah, <laughs> 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 they're upstairs, but you know that's the emotion that he feels, and that's what I find so amazing. They like they are. Like when they're happy, they're mega happy, and you, yeah. I get so much energy from. Again, this high frequency in the house, you know, they're like there's five kids at the same age, and they like just all the time. Uh, I, I treated my kids. I tried to like mold them right into what I wanted them to become. Maybe a little bit too much. Do you have that uh, sense of like these are some clay, and I've got to help mold them, or is it more like mm -hmm. you're just gonna watch them go? Are you gonna be more? I'd say I don't want to say hands off, but less uh, controlling than I was. I want to be less controlling, but I want them to, I want to show them certain experiences. So for instance, I, uh, I enjoy big wave surfing. I would love to go and take my kids, daughters or sons, doesn't matter, surfing and kind of show them nature. And I, you know, I, I go into the mountains and I do, I used to be, a, uh, we talked about it in your show. I used to be a, a mountain uh, soldier in the German army and, and those kind of, not the army, but the being out there and skiing and being in nature and that the, I, I want them to understand these feelings and these emotions, especially uh, in such a digital world. And I want them to be able to kind of immerse themselves in those, whatever it is, it can also be horse riding, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't, you don't have to teach it within my bias. But this, what I'm trying to say is that I want them to be able to get out of their own shell and kind of find whatever their passion is and live that that's really that's really what i want to kind of transfer to them would you be happy if they became entrepreneurs oh man 
<laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I be think careful they what you wish for, huh? Yeah, but they have to be. I mean, they don't have to do anything. But I think yes, I would be. I, for me, it's the only way. I would. I. I, I would never be employed. No. Yeah. Control your own destiny. Um, okay. Just closing thoughts. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm talking your ear off here. Um, closing thoughts to entrepreneurs, right? So people out there that are building a business, whether you're in South Africa whether you're in Germany, whether you're here in the US, I mean, there are some common things that, um, that go into entrepreneurship. Any advice to yeah. the entrepreneur out there? I mean, I'm very young and I'm, I'm probably, I'm not the, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself as hugely successful mega entrepreneur, but the one thing I can say that I find very valuable is, and we touched on it today again, is don't start with the money. The money will come anyways. If you solve a real problem, if you do something that you're really passionate about, if you do something that you're really good at, the money will come. If you start by constructing some sort of business model so that you can make a huge kind of money that you put into an Excel sheet, that's not the right way to start a business in my mind because the next person who's really passionate about what you're trying to do will always outperform you just due to his passion. He'll put in the longer hours, he'll be better at networking, he'll be better at selling it, he'll be better at execution because he's almost outpassioning you, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It is not all about the money. Philip Hartman, I want to thank you for, uh, for sharing your story, for um, our friendship, and uh, I look forward to seeing the advancement of your podcast, of your fund, um, and, uh, and the cause of, uh, of being a father and being a dad. It's, uh, it's something that we both uh, share in terms of uh, uh, something that's important to us. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for having me, and also thank you for your friendship, and it's been amazing, actually. We've talked a few times now, and yeah, thank you for your advice and, and having me on the show. You bet. Thank you.